Hello, everybody. This is the philosopher and the psychologist. How are you, Frau Müller? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. So, um, I think we are going to talk about Buddhist psychology today, no? I think you were... I think you planned something like that, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I read on your website that uh, you are... You use Buddhist psychology or you are specialized in Buddhist psychology. Like how, how would you describe your relation with the Buddhist psychology? Oh, we have a very good relation. <laughs> very good relation. Yes. We don't fight. We don't fight. Yeah, it's good news. Uh, how's my relation? Me, I use Buddhist psychology to, to treat my clients that I have, my online clients. And um, I got into that a few years ago. And... Uh, Yeah, me, I'm very happy with Buddhist psychology. I don't know if Buddhist psychology is happy with me, but me and my clients, it works very well for us. So for someone who, like me, doesn't know anything about Buddhist psychology, hmm. I mean, how, how would you explain it? What is it? How is it different from any other kind of psychology? Or why is it useful for you? Or what do you do with it? Hmm. Um, I would say that Buddhist psychology is not necessarily different in all the senses from all the other psychologies. Because it's the psychology, it's the, it's the science of the mind. How does our mind work? How does our memory work? How does our perception work? All the psychologies are the same, but of course the theory is a different one. And this one, as the name already says, it's based on Buddhism. Buddhism... On the base, it's not a religion, as many people may think, but it's a philosophy. It's a philosophy of how our mind works. So both of these things are connected. And um, Buddhist psychology is actually very, very close to Western psychology, especially to the very famous uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which means that in Buddhism, we put a lot of emphasis on the thoughts, how our thoughts influence our our feelings and our behavior, our perception of the world. And this is like something that Buddhist, Buddhist psychology and cognitive behavior therapy have in common. But um, the good thing or the good news is pretty much that Buddhist psychology doesn't stop there. It's not just working on a superficial level in the sense of like how, what, what do we think and how does it make us feel and how do we perceive the world and, okay, we should maybe change this, think more positive, or I should maybe interpret this situation in a different way. No, Buddhist psychology goes deeper and has a more, let's say, spiritual approach, um, which doesn't necessarily mean that I'm like putting incense sticks when I'm talking with my clients or sing some mantras with them, like it's not going into the esoteric <laughs> corner necessarily but it's about seeing a bit deeper and implementing actually some values of buddhism into this approach for example what i want to understand like practically speaking the client that contact you do they tell you that they want to use buddhist psychology or do they know about buddhist psychology most of the time or do you suggest to them that you would use things from buddhist psychology like how does it work Mm, there's a small number of people who know about Buddhist psychology. It's getting more and more popular, especially in the United States, and now it's starting in Europe as well. So, but it's still a new term, you know. It's it's, it's something new, so not everybody knows about it. Um, so, when you use it, like, how do you use it? Like, for example, someone who doesn't know about it, mm -hmm. like someone comes, like, I don't know. Can, can we can make maybe a consultation? <laughs> maybe? I don't know if you are 
if you <laughs> it's my free time man i'm not working right now <laughs> In that case, let, let, like, no, go let, ahead, go let, ahead. let us just suppose that someone, you know, comes to you and, uh, I don't know, he tells you, you know, I'm very stressed. I have a lot of anxiety. I'm like, I, I, I sleep very bad because I'm thinking all the time about the problems I have, or I have a lot of tension. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how would you use Buddhist psychology with someone who just comes to you with just a common problem like this one for example mm -hmm. like me i tell all my clients in advance that this is something that i'm using in general and this is if they are open to this we can use it for them also but it's not mandatory i can also just work with western psychology i mean it's totally fine for me so it's optional to them because for me it's very important that they can that they have an influence on how we work with each other right it's very important for the for the client and, and therapist relationship so this is the first thing when i see that they're open for this and i'm using it more and more and we talk about it how for example so in this uh in this case in this case for example the the main thing that i would uh that i would use i'm always using a mixture of western psychology and buddhist psychology so i would start with the western psychology i would teach the person a lot about how our mind works how we perceive things And that, in fact, as I said before, our thoughts have an influence on our emotions. Then I would start slowly, slowly to put little por portions of Buddhist psychology, you know, not to scare the people off. So what I teach them, first of all, is meditation. This is like the, the base of everything for me personally. And um, I noticed that all my clients, they profit very well from this, which is a very basic meditation, which means you just focus on your breath. And when you have a thought coming... You bring your attention, your focus back to the breath. This is actually, it's an exercise of concentration. It's not an exercise of relaxation. It's like the people, they learn actually how to be with themselves. Because many people right now, at least that's what I'm observing in the Western world, they're not able to be with themselves alone, without distraction, without phone, without computer, without uh, talking to somebody or, you know, what have you. So... This is the first thing. And when you actually start to be alone with yourself, and I think many people know that meditation is like a big thing in Buddhism, right? Not just in Buddhism, but so this is what Buddhism is, is most famous for, let's say. When you learn how to be alone with yourself, you actually learn how to get to know yourself better, to get to know your thoughts. So this for me is the base. And then I start slowly, slowly to, when they come with a certain situation, as you said, let's say they are stressed and they are talking about... Um, I don't know, everything is unfair, nothing is, uh, you know, everything is going wrong for me. And I teach them that there's a bigger picture because this is what Buddhism actually is doing. Like there's a bigger picture. It's not just about you. And I don't mean this in a negative way, like that you're selfish. I just mean there's a bigger picture. There's the whole universe and you are a part of it. So, you know, I teach them that everybody's interconnected, for example. You, me, we are all part of a whole and that we all have a big influence on each other. Or when somebody tells me, for example, um, for me, everything is always bad. Um, like, like I'm condemned, I don't know, the universe is punishing me or I am um, like, I don't know, like take many things personal, you know. I teach them, for example, because we are all so interconnected and everything is like a like a chain reaction, you know. So it's impossible to think to take things personal, you know, because let's say your boss yells at you 
okay? And you would take this very personal. You'd say, oh, he doesn't like me. I'm not a good worker. Maybe I will be fired. Uh, he hated me from the first moment, whatever. Then I will tell you, but yeah, look, there's a bigger picture. Try to remove yourself from where you are right now and see it like from just from a distance, this whole situation. There's so many factors that influence the behavior of your boss, for example. So this actually, it's like, it's so many factors that are influencing his situation. So you cannot take his reaction necessarily too personal. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I follow you, yeah. It means that most of the time you will start by meditation and when we start to meditate, we start to observe much more our thoughts and what's happening in our mind. Mm -hmm. Think that generally we don't have the time to do that much or we don't do it because we are all the time maybe busy with external, um, our external environments, uh, I don't know, work, TV, phone, etc. There's always something going on. Mm -hmm. And once you put the focus on, like, I notice that for many people it's very uncomfortable to be with themselves just for five minutes. Try, try it yourself. Sit on the couch for five minutes and just be with yourself. For many people, not saying for everybody, but for many people, it's very hard, uncomfortable. We have this tendency to start to grab the phone, to do something, you know, or read or, or let our mind wander, maybe, if we're lucky, you know. But for many people, they just don't like it. It's like waiting in the doctors for the doctor, you know, in the waiting area. It's like a very uncomfortable thing. So... But once you get over this, you try to get to know your thoughts, you will see that there's such a blah, blah in your head, like commenting voices and what to do. And you're worrying about things and your mind is jumping from A to B to C. Like it's, it's crazy what's going on there, you know. And um, what Buddhism teaches us that the the not the worst thing, but a bad thing that we do is not necessarily that our mind wanders because that's what the mind does, you know, like this is its work. It's a tool to analyze the world, to judge, you know, to make us survive, to see if there's something dangerous, how can we manage a certain situation. So it's, it's, it's okay, you know. A mind can only be, or work as a mind, you know, it cannot function as a heart, like it's impossible. So, but the thing is what Buddhism says is that we identify with our thoughts. We believe them 100%. We believe that our boss hates us just because it's a thought in our brain. We believe that, oh my God, next weekend was going to be so hard. How am I going to do this? Whatever happens there. We believe these thoughts. I'm not worthy. We believe it. And this is the big problem. Yeah, the, like, a, a, for, like I, I hear, for example, in, in, in Buddhism or in Buddhist psychology, we talk a lot about, for example, ignorance and uh, suffering and uh, attachment. And like it, it, it comes uh, again all the time. And um, like, I, like I don't know how to explain this, this like to the, to the people who are listening to us. Like, for example, there are those four noble truths, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, are they related to Buddhist psychology, or, or if they are related, how are they related? Like, could you maybe explain a bit? Like the four noble truths is pretty. They are teachings of the Buddha, right? They are teachings of the Buddha, exactly. Okay. So they are 
talking about our suffering in our in our life. So the Four Noble Truths is like the, I don't want to say the base of Buddhism, but it's very, very important in Buddhism. So of course, it's also part of, of Buddhist psychology. And um, what it talks about is our suffering in our life, which is not just like uh, our physical suffering that we get old and that we have to die, but also our psychological sufferings. Because Buddhism, again, is a philosophy of the mind. So how we are attached to things, how our mind makes us suffer. Yeah, this is where I want to, 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 to go to. Because mm -hmm. what I understand is that uh, if we talk today about Buddhist psychology, mm -hmm. it's probably because uh, the Buddha was... Uh, more or less a good psychologist. Well, he was the first. He was the first psychologist ever. Now, this is in every uh, kind of uh, religion or something. They say it's the first. <laughs> <laughs> But he was definitely there before Jesus and Muhammad. So, I mean, he, he's up front. <laughs> But the... the Uh, when when the when the Buddha talked about our sufferings, mm -hmm. of course there is this uh, physical uh, uh, sufferings. But I think his theory that if we suffer, it doesn't necessarily come from the physical world, like sickness or uh, or death or or like being injured. It's his explanation. I have the feeling that is everything is happening in our minds. Like our minds are creating more, like or the way our minds are working are creating our sufferings. Like, like what I would like to understand is what is the the origin of sufferings in Buddhist psychology? Why do we suffer? Why are we depressed, for example? Why are we having a lot of anxiety? Like we see nowadays in our world, in our developed world, especially there is so much stress, fear low self-esteem, depression, problems, like it is more and more rare to, to go somewhere and to not feel the, the, the sufferings of, of the people in those societies that are so busy, they have so much work and money and uh, pressure. So what is the origin? Why do we suffer hmm. in Buddhist psychology? Why? What's, what's the, like the base? The base uh, because this is related to the four noble truths. No? Yes, the four noble truths. If you summarize it, they say the first noble truth is there is suffering everywhere. Second is so suffering is normal. Suffering is normal. It's not something like weird. No, I mean when you when you wait in the in the line of the supermarket, you have to wait for 15 minutes. You shouldn't ask yourself why does it happen. No, suffering is normal. Like you have to wait. This is how it is. You know. Do, do you suffer when you are in the line of the supermarket? No, I meditate. <laughs> I have 15 minutes to meditate. Me, I suffer. <laughs> so next time I have to meditate. Yeah, Then I don't suffer anymore? You never have to wait any, anymore if you start your meditation practice. Ah, so you transform waiting into suffering. No. no you, sorry, you transform no, waiting into meditation. meditation. And yeah. from there, um, meditation... I have nothing to do. I can always just meditate now. So why do they don't teach this to the people in the traffic jams? Because they get very angry when they are waiting. They, should, they, they, should, they should make a radio channel. Oh, we should make a radio channel of meditation. <laughs> yeah, so the first noble truth is that suffering is Suffering is normal. normal. The second one is uh, their causes for your suffering. Exactly. Right? This is what I would, uh, would yeah, like to know. Where I'm going to. The third one is there's a, there's a way out. Of suffering, good this news. Is, this is the third noble truth. Yes. There the, is a way out. There is a way out. Well, good news. Yes. And the fourth one is actually the description of the path. What should you do? 
Okay. Oh, so in the Four Noble Truths, you don't really know. You could put it together into one. I mean, it's one sentence, you know. But uh, everything has a, a bit explanation, you know. So you ask for the causes of suffering, right? And I want to add to the to the sufferings what you said. Like, yes, of course, it's the it's the physical sufferings. But what the Buddha also talks about is like this extra suffering that we put on ourselves, you know. Because of course, he recognizes that our life is hard sometimes. Nobody likes to be old or sick or has a problem. I mean, everybody, let's say somebody dies in your family, you know, this is hard for you. This is, you suffer. But he's talking on top of this, like there's an extra suffering that you put on yourself because your mind works in a certain way. And this is what the Buddhism talks about. What is the certain way that what? the mind? Exactly. So this certain thing that you, that is the suffering that you put on yourself, He says many things, for example, <laughs> the of, of suffering is our attachment. We are attached to things the way they are. We are attached to our body. We want it to be young and healthy and beautiful. We are attached to our material life, to our house, to our car, to our TV, to, you know, whatever. We are attached to the life. Yeah, but if we, we are attached to our body or our house or something, this, why would it create suffering? It creates suffering because what if you lose it? Because you don't understand, which is one of another causes of suffering, that things are not permanent. I think they're not permanent. Have you looked in the mirror recently? You got another gray hair last week. I, mean, yeah, I don't are... remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that I had a face without gray hair or something. Yeah, I remember very well because I see your face every day. <laughs> You don't, people don't, uh, we have this this society or this mindset in our society that things have to stay the way they are. Your youth is something that's very praised, you know, like we all want to be young and slim and whatever. And we want to, we want to create this kind of plastic world a little bit, you know, but actually things change. We are sitting now here in this building on the 20th floor and the building is changing while we're sitting here. It looks so firm. It looks so stable. It's not going to fall apart just now, but it's changing. So it's as if we are holding on to, to things that are... To an illusion. To an illusion. To an illusion. Why, yeah. why, do you, why are you so obsessed with keeping your body young? Eventually, you will know that you're going to get old and you will die. This doesn't mean... Should, 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 should we the, the, then stop like uh, taking care of our body and no, taking care no. of our house and taking care of... No, this doesn't mean like... That you if you tell me you should stop me, tomorrow I stop, uh, I start... This doesn't mean being stupid. <laughs> being less attached to things doesn't mean that you have to be stupid. And having a car and having a house and having a TV is fine. What, like you can own things, but it's important that these things don't own you. Uh -huh. But how do the things can own us? It can own you because, for example, when your TV breaks, yes. you're very sad and angry or, you know, like, but actually you forgot the fact that things are impermanent and that you, you can still live without them. You can detach yourself. You know, you can put a distance between this thing and you because attachment creates um, desire. We want to have, to be attached to something means to have, I want to keep it. It should be like this. It's also like about the idea in our brain, you know, a certain situation should be like this. 
I should not feel like this. Why is it like this? Why me? Why not the others? This is also attachment. It has not, not necessarily something to do with um, our physical or material life. And of course, we should take care of our body because being detached from something doesn't mean being stupid. I mean, you should still eat healthy and you should maintain your body. But you should not be surprised that still maybe in a few weeks you will have another gray hair because this is just the nature of things. This is how things are in this world. At least in this world. At least in this world. I have the feeling sometimes that uh, like the image that uh, like th there is, a, I, I feel there is a, a kind of contradiction, you know. Because uh, me personally, uh, the way I perceive uh, those Buddhist people, you know, they look very joyful and very happy and they're very generous. At the same time, in Buddhism, like what, what Buddhist uh, teachings say that we have to be aware that, as you said, everything is changing, that nothing is permanent, that we're going to die, etc. So... How can you be how can you be joyful and happy when every day more or less you have to remind yourself that oh this body that you have is changing, this TV that you have is going to break one day, the your your parents they will die one day. How can you live happily if every day you wake up and you say, Oh, my children They will maybe die today or tomorrow. Everything is changing. I cannot hold to them. My house maybe will burn tomorrow. It looks for me like a very dark, how to say, like a very dark, um, a very dark sky, let's say. <laughs> It makes me yeah. feel afraid, you know. Yeah. Like you can, you can be depressed if you think like this. So how you explain this? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there's this meditation in Buddhism that's uh, the... Uh, Damn, what is it called? It's called the nine... Um, it's a death meditation, doesn't matter, where you think about the, the death process, you know, how you're going to die. And they say that the Dalai Lama, he's doing this six times a day. So he's th thinking about his own death six times a day. And I mean, the Dalai Lama, when you look at him, he ju just looks like the happiest person on the planet, you know, like, or not the happy, but he's just joyful, as you said. Like, so that's why he's laughing all the yes, day, all the day he's laughing. because... He's laughing in the face of death. Because he knows that it doesn't mean anything, you know. He's going to die if he's afraid or not. But I give you an example. Imagine that you that you have um, a piece of cake, okay, or anything. And if you, while you're eating it, it becomes bigger and bigger. But you have to eat it. It will never stop. It's never. It's always growing back what you ate. You have to eat it until eternity. You will be so sick of this damn cake. Or imagine a book that you're reading and all this book goes on and on. There is no end to it. It becomes dull. It doesn't give, like it's something boring, you know. So the fact that life is short and that it will end eventually and that your TV will break eventually or your house will burn down, that your kids could die, it gives it more meaning and more structure and more importance The fact that you know that you might die in I don't know how many years or that you might die tomorrow makes you live today more worthy. 
uh, more more deeply, let's say. Because this, let's say you wake up tomorrow morning, okay? And while you wake up and you take the your first conscious breath, let's say, the first deep breath that you realize that you're breathing, actually, and you think to yourself, my God, me, I'm breathing now. Somebody else is actually taking his last breath. How lucky I am. How lucky I am to be still alive. So to see it as a gift, to see, especially because you can lose everything you have, including your own life, in a split of a second, makes it more meaningful, more precious. So, I mean, if I know that I could die in 10 seconds or in a minute, I would be so happy. I'm not going to waste my time with worrying. I'm not going to waste my time with um, putting another weight on my back in terms of being afraid or not loving myself or, or worrying about my job or no, I will just live intensely in the moment. I mean, when you when you say if you if you know that you you could you you would die in ten seconds, you, you would be happy. I don't, I'm not sure that you would be happy to know that, but maybe what you mean. Okay, is, maybe not in ten seconds. Of course, you would. Maybe you would freak out, but. Maybe what you mean is to be um, like mindful about the fact that this could happen, even if you are in a safe environment, mm -hmm. then maybe it gives more value to the, the present moment. Yes. Like right now. I don't mean that myself, you have. Mm -hmm. the, like when you think about our death, you say to oh, all our worries, all our problems, all our fears, they are not worth all the, the energy and the stress and the, the, the negative emotions we put in them, maybe. Yeah. And this is part of the Buddhist uh, spirit, let's say. Yeah, for sure. The I death, also, is, the death yeah. is a central topic. You know, it's a central topic because at the end, in Buddhism, which is not necessarily part of the Buddhist uh, therapy, but they believe in reincarnation. It's about the next life also, you know. So death is always a very central topic. It's about how am I going to live well so that my next life or or this life, you know, whatever you believe in, is going to be good for me and for others. I also uh, hear a lot this uh, concept of uh, emptiness in, uh, in, in Buddhism. Like, first of all, is it related to Buddhist psychology or it's not related at all? Yeah, How can it's, you... it's related to it, for sure. It's related. I, I don't use the term emptiness necessarily with my client, but yeah, of course, it's related. So how you would uh, use it without using the term? Like, how you, how, you, how you use this concept of emptiness with, I don't know, someone who's suffering psychologically from a situation or... I would explain the concept of emptiness. I would try to start very, very simple, okay? So emptiness, it's not that things are empty of something, you know? It's about, again, our mind, okay? So what our mind puts on things. This is, our mind is labeling everything. As I said, our mind is all the time judging and, uh, and perceiving the world. So at the base, emptiness means you have a certain object, okay? Let's say a table, mm -hmm. okay? From the perspective of Buddhism, this table is nothing else but shape and color. That's it. But us, when you see a table, you immediately know that it's a table, no? 
Like you, yes. you don't even have to think about it. It comes like this in your brain. And then imagine you see this table now and then you see maybe a smaller one that's uh, lower or something. You will say, ah, that's a bad side table. You have another idea about this. You know the function of the table. You know um, how you sit on it. You have an idea what kind of, um, I don't know, what kind of purpose it has. You know, you have all these ideas in your brain what a table is. If I tell you now there's a table for a family, imagine one, all of us, we see a different table. And we also put all these ideas about the table on this object. But at the end, this table is nothing but shape and color because the function that it's a table and that you maybe sit around it or, you know, let you eat dinner on it has nothing to do with the object itself. So you mean that the what, what we call... The, the table what we call the table and what we think it is actually all those attributes are not there in the in the table itself it's just in our mind yeah imagine imagine somebody from mars would come here yes how would he perceive the table would he think that you sit around it or that you put i mean it, it depends if they have tables there or no as far as uh, mars robots say they don't have like it just feels Like just, this is what the Buddha said. Yeah, this is what the Buddha said. So this way now we're talking... No, he didn't talk about the table and he didn't talk about people from Mars, but imagine this is what we do with a, with a table, okay? And then we say, maybe this is my favorite one. This is... I like the way it looks. I like the way... Uh, I don't know. I can sit on it. Blah, blah, blah. We have so many ideas. We put so many labels on the object. And imagine we do the same with people. All the ideas, all the labels that I put on a person, for example. And this is what I make my pe my clients realize, that all these labels that you put on something, all these expectations. Or on situations. Or situations. All these ideas that you think you have about a certain thing or a certain situation, they are influencing the way you see the world, your expectations, your feelings. So that's why we call this emptiness. It means like the things that we perceive, the situations, the way we feel about them, the way we think they are. Mm -hmm. Actually, those things are totally empty from those ideas and those labels yes. and etc. And we put all the content inside. Like we fill the things from our mind with things like this. We fill it, exactly. So this is how, how is it related to psychology in that case? It is related in I mean, it is psychology because we are describing how the mind works, but how is it related to your practice? It's related to the fact that you just imagine, I ask my clients this a lot, imagine everything that you believed was right or the things that you believed and they're actually totally wrong. Like imagine all the things about the person, about the situation, about the table, everything that you thought is wrong. And then I say like, No, but it's not, because, of course, we believe in the things that we see and feel, you know. But just to question this, just to change the perspective, to maybe put yourself in the shoes of somebody else. Like, if you yell at me, I will say, you are mean, you're not a good person. This would be, I'm putting a label on you, I'm, would be, uh, I'm putting a content on you. But you're not a bad person, it's not part of who you are. So when I realize that actually... I'm putting something on you. I'm putting content in your container if you want, you know. I can, I'm able to say, hey, mo wait a moment. Is it right? Maybe I should see it from the other perspective. So it's not necessarily that the people have to become Buddhists or that they have to see everything through the eyes of emptiness. It's more 
to question the things that you perceive. Is it really right, right what I'm seeing? Because we are the center of our own universe. We perceive the world from through our eyes, through our mind, right? I cannot see the world through your eyes. But once I know that maybe my perception of the world is not what the reality really is, what it looks like, and I say, okay, maybe like maybe I'm wrong. There are other ways of perceiving the world. And this is the main thing that I'm using in the therapy. Yeah, especially that most of the time, when, I mean, in, in, in our daily life, we have... I don't know, maybe millions of things that we see, we hear, etc. It's like constant work. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, maybe we feel about the things much quicker than we think if what we perceive is real or not. You know, me, when I see you or the table or I see someone, immediately in my brain, there are things saying, I don't know, oh, I like this person, this person looks nice, or this, this person looks not nice, or, oh, this situation makes me angry. Mm -hmm. Before even questioning uh, if my perception corresponds to the reality or not. So, to end this talk, Frau Müller, what's the advice you would give to me and the people who are listening to us to maybe try to improve our mindfulness about things and events that are happening in our daily life? Mm -hmm. Is there uh, an advice or a daily routine or something that we sh should maybe try to do? Me, I would advise you to try to be less on autopilot with your brain. Because usually, you know, we are always doing something and we're thinking about something else. You get up in the morning and you already think about breakfast. While you're having breakfast, you already think what you're going to do in the day. While you're doing something in the day, you're already thinking about dinner or what have you. So my advice to you is to increase your mindfulness and to know what's going on in your brain, you know, to, to actually gain control over your thoughts, or at least be, be there when they're happening and not just let it happen in the, in the back of your brain. I would advise you to do something in your daily life really mindfully. In the morning, brush your teeth for three minutes and just be there. Just feel the brush in your mouth and feel how your body feels. Stand with your feet on the damn earth and feel it. And don't be already in the office. Or drink your tea in a mindful way. Be there and think about everything. Think about everything that's happening right now. Hear the sounds. Smell the tea. Feel it in your mouth. This will increase your mindfulness and this will help you to be more in the moment, in the here and now. And you will be more aware of your thoughts. Okay, thank you very much. I'm going to try to apply your advices. And I'm already thinking about dinner. <laughs> <laughs> What about you? Yeah, me too, but eat it mindfully. Yeah? <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much.